Chapters 12 through 13 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. Translated by Alexander Roberts and W. H. Rumbold. Chapter 12. The Doctrines of the Followers of Ptolemy and Colorbasus. But the followers of Ptolemy say that he, Bythos, has two consorts, which they also name diathesis, affections, vitalicit, enoe, and thelesis. For as they affirm, he first conceived the thought of producing something, and then willed to that effect. Wherefore, again, these two affections, or powers, enoea and thelesis, having intercourse, as it were, between themselves, the production of monogenes and aletheia took place according to conjunction. These two came forth as types and images of the two affections of the Father, visible representations of those that were invisible, nous, that is, monogenes, of thelesis, and aletheia of enoea, and accordingly the image resulting from thelesis was masculine, while that from enoea was feminine. Thus, thelesis, will, became, as it were, a faculty of enoelija, thought, for enoia continually yearned after offspring, but she could not of herself bring forth that which she desired. But when the power of Thelesis, the faculty of will, came upon her, then she brought forth that on which she had brooded. These fancied beings, like the Jove of Homer, who is represented as passing an anxious sleepless night in devising plans for honoring Achilles and destroying numbers of the Greeks, will not appear to you, my dear friend, to be possessed of greater knowledge than he who is the god of the universe. He, as soon as he thinks, also performs what he has willed, and as soon as he wills, also thinks that which he has willed. Then, thinking when he wills, and then willing when he thinks, since he is all thought, all will, all mind, all light, all eye, all ear, the one entire fountain of all good things. Those of them, however, who are deemed more skillful than the persons who have just been mentioned, say that the first Ogdoad was not produced gradually, so that one aeon was sent forth by another, but that all the aeons were brought into existence at once by Propator and his Enoia. He, Colorbasus, affirms this as confidently as if he had assisted at their birth. Accordingly, he and his followers maintain that Anthropos and Ecclesia were not produced, as others hold, from Logos and Zoe, but, on the contrary, Logos and Zoe from Anthropos and Ecclesia, but they express this in another form as follows. When the Propator conceived the thought of producing something, he received the name of Father, but because what he did produce was true, it was named Alithia. Again, when he wished to reveal himself, this was termed Anthropos. Finally, when he produced those whom he had previously thought of, these were named Ecclesia. Anthropos, by speaking, formed Logos, this is the firstborn son, but Zoe followed upon Logos, and thus the first Obdoad was completed. They have much contention also among themselves respecting the Savior, for some maintain that he was formed out of all, wherefore also he was called Evdositos, because the whole Pleroma was well pleased through him to glorify the Father, but others assert that he was produced from those ten aeons alone who sprung from Logos and Zoe, and that on this account he was called Logos and Zoe, thus preserving the ancestral names. Others, again, affirm that he had his being from those twelve aeons who were with the offspring of Anthropos and Ecclesia, 
and on this account he acknowledges himself the son of man as being a descendant of others still assert that he was produced by christ and the holy spirit who were brought forth for the security of the pleroma and that on this account he was called christ thus preserving the appellation of the father by whom he was produced and there are yet others among them who declare that the propator of the whole proarche and proanenoetos is called anthropos and that this is the great and abstruse mystery namely that the power which is above all others and contains all in his embrace is termed anthropos hence does the saviour style himself the son of man chapter thirteen the deceitful arts and nefarious practices of marcus but there is another among these heretics marcus by name who boasts himself as having improved upon his master he is a perfect adept in magical impostures and by this means drawing away a great number of men and not a few women he has induced them to join themselves to him as to one who is possessed of the greatest knowledge and perfection and who has received the highest power from the invisible and ineffable regions above thus it appears as if he really were the precursor of antichrist for joining the buffooneries of anaxilaus to the craftiness of the magi as they are called he is regarded by his senseless and cracked-brained followers as working miracles by these means pretending to consecrate cups mixed with wine and protracting to great length the word of invocation he contrives to give them a purple and reddish color so that charis who is one of those that are superior to all things should be thought to drop her own blood into that cup through means of his invocation and that thus those who are present should be led to rejoice to taste of that cup in order that by so doing the charis who is set forth by this magician may also flow in them again handing mixed cups to the women he binds them consecrate these in his presence when this has been done he himself produces another cup of much larger size than that which the deluded woman has consecrated and pouring from a smaller one consecrated by the woman into that which has been brought forward by himself he at the same time pronounces these words may that chaffs who is before all things and who transcends all knowledge and speech fill thine inner man and multiply in thee her own knowledge by sowing the grain of the mustard seed in thee as in good soil repeating certain other like words and thus goading on the wretched woman to madness he then appears a worker of wonders when the large cup is seen to have been filled out of the small one so as even to overflow by what has been obtained from it by accomplishing several other similar things he has completely deceived many and drawn them away after him it appears probable enough that this man possesses a demon as his familiar spirit by means of whom he seems able to prophesy and also enables as many he counts worthy to be partakers of his chadis themselves to prophesy he devotes himself especially to women and those such as are well-bred and elegantly attired and of great wealth whom he frequently seeks to draw after him by addressing them in such seductive words as these i am eager to make thee a partaker of my chadis since the father of all doth continually behold thy angel before his face now the place of thy angel is among us it behoves us to become one receive first from me and by me the gift of chaffs adorn thyself as a bride who is expecting her bridegroom that thou mayst be what i am and i what thou art establish the germ of light in thy nuptial chamber receive from me a spouse and become receptive of him while thou art received by him behold charis has descended upon thee 
open thy mouth and prophesy. On the woman replying, I have never at any time prophesied, nor do I know how to prophesy, then engaging for the second time in certain invocations, so as to astound his deluded victim, he says to her, Open thy mouth, speak whatsoever occurs to thee, and thou shalt prophesy. She then, vainly puffed up and elated by these words, and greatly excited in soul by the expectation that it is herself who is to prophesy, her heart beating violently from emotion, reaches the requisite pitch of audacity, and idly as well as impudently utters some nonsense as it happens to occur to her, such as might be expected from one heated by an empty spirit. Referring to this, one superior to me has observed that the soul is both audacious and impudent when heated with empty air. Henceforth she reckons herself a prophetess, and expresses her thanks to Marcus for having imparted to her of his own chaffs. She then makes the effort to reward him, not only by the gift of her possessions, in which way he has collected a very large fortune, but also by yielding up to him her person, desiring in every way to be united to him, that she may become altogether one with him. But already some of the most faithful women, possessing of the fear of God and not being deceived, whom, nevertheless, he did his best to seduce like the rest by bidding them prophesy, abhorring and execrating him, have withdrawn from such a vile company of revelers. This they have done, as being well aware that the gift of prophecy is not conferred on men by Marcus the magician, but that only those to whom God sends his grace from above possess the divinely bestowed power of prophesying. And then they speak where and when God pleases, and not when Marcus orders them to do so. For that which commands is greater and of higher authority than that which is commanded, inasmuch as the former rules, while the latter is in a state of subjection. If then Marcus or anyone else does command, as these are accustomed continually at their feasts to play at drawing lots, and in accordance with the lot to command one another to prophesy, giving forth as oracles what is in harmony with their own desires, it will follow that he who commands is greater and of higher authority than the prophetic spirit, though he is but a man, which is impossible. But such spirits as are commanded by these men, and speak when they desire it, are earthly and weak, audacious and impudent, sent forth by Satan for the seduction and perdition of those who do not hold fast that well-compacted faith which they received at first through the church. Moreover, that this Marcus compounds filters and love potions in order to insult the persons of some of these women, if not of all, those of them who have returned to the church of God, a thing which frequently occurs, have acknowledged, confessing, too, that they have been defiled by him, and that they were filled with a burning passion towards him. A sad example of this occurred in the case of a certain Asiatic, one of our deacons, who had received him, Marcus, into his house. His wife, a woman of remarkable beauty, fell a victim both in mind and body to this magician, and for a long time traveled about with him. At last, when, with no small difficulty, the brethren had converted her, she spent her whole time in the exercises of public confession, weeping over and lamenting the defilement which she had received from this magician. Some of his disciples, too, addicting themselves to the same practices, have deceived many silly women and defiled them. They proclaim themselves as being perfect, so that no one can be compared to them with respect to the immensity of their knowledge, nor even were you to mention Paul or Peter or any other of the apostles. They assert that they themselves know more than all others, and that they alone have imbibed the greatness of the knowledge of that power which is unspeakable. They also maintain that they have attained a height above all power, and that therefore they are free in every respect to act as they please, 
having no one to fear in anything. For they affirm that because of the redemption, it has come to pass that they can neither be apprehended nor even seen by the judge. But even if he should happen to lay hold upon them, then they might simply repeat these words while standing in his presence along with the redemption. O thou who sittest beside God in the mystical eternal sage, thou through whom the angels, mightiness, who continually behold the face of the Father, having thee as their guide and introducer, do derive their forms from above, which she in the greatness of her daring inspired with mind on account of the goodness of the Propator, producing us as their images, having her mind then intent upon the things above as in a dream. Behold, the judge is at hand, and the crier orders me to make my defense. But do thou, as being acquainted with the affairs of both, present the cause of both of us to the judge, inasmuch as it is in reality but one cause. Now, as soon as the mother hears these words, she puts the Homeric helmet of Pluto upon them, so that they may invisibly escape the judge. And then she immediately catches them up, and ducks them into the bridal chamber, and hands them over to their consorts. Such are the words and deeds by which, in our own district of the Hron, they have deluded many women, who have their consciences seared as with a hot iron. Some of them indeed make a public confession of their sins, but others of them are ashamed to do this, and in a tacit kind of way, despairing of attaining to the life of God, have some of them apostatized altogether, while others hesitate between the two courses, and incur that which is implied in the proverb, neither without nor within, possessing this as the fruit from the seed of the children of knowledge. End of Book 1, Chapters 12-13 through 13. Recording by James, Fort Myers, Florida